For over a decade, Cuisine Noir has kept a spotlight on African Americans. In its second decade, its global food initiative is taking off. We talked to Cherie Williams, owner of Cuisine Noir. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Cherie Williams. She is the owner of Cuisine Noir, a web magazine about food and drink, travel and books and lifestyle with a focus on African-Americans. She has a podcast called Diaspora Food Stories, which is pretty new. Welcome, Cherie. Thank you, Liz. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. So I'm so happy to have you on today because I remember when you took over Cuisine Noir in 2009, we were a fledgling food and beverage museum that opened in 2008. And so I feel like we've kind of gone down a path together, a growth path together that is not only something that reflected our own interests and things that we thought were important, but also has started at the right time because the world changed to accept a lot of what we we were doing and what we saw as important before everybody else did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and and that's, I think, is what's amazing because we had a vision. We both had visions mm-hmm. and we knew in our heart of heart that this was some work that needed to be done and, and sticking in there and doing that. And now look where we're at these yes. years, right? So yeah. definitely when you know that you know that you know, don't quit, keep moving. I, I totally agree. I, I, you know, I've had a lot of ideas that, I think, oh, it would be great to do this. And then it doesn't work out for some reason. And you just let it go and you go on to the next idea. But this was one that I just couldn't let go. It just seemed like this this is something really, really important. And then you get up every day and you're working on something you're so excited about. It's very motivating. Right, right. It, it really is. And, and it's the, then you hear the impact, right, of the work that you're doing. And that gives you the motivation and the inspiration to keep going, too. And so when you get that email or that phone call or whatever it is, you're like, oh, you know, it, it really does give you that fire that you need to say, you know what, let me get up. Because it's, as you know, it's not easy work. It is not easy work. And there are some days I, I can speak for myself that I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? And I could be, <laughs> you know, doing this and doing that. And But at the end of the day, again, those stories, that impact brings you back. He's like, yes, this is why I'm doing it. Well, so as we celebrate 13 years, <laughs> tell me how you came to have this vision. So... I met the founder of Cuisine Noir, who's a chef out of Sacramento in 20, originally 2005, and then we reconnected in 2007. And his vision was they're, they're, the stories of Black chefs are not being told in mainstream magazines. 
And so we had launched a version of it when Trey Wilcox, say for instance, was on Top Chef. They were on season three. Mm -hmm. And then Aaron McCargo Jr. won Food Network. Rock Harper won Hell's Kitchen. The Neelys were coming on the scene. Sonny mm -hmm. Anderson was coming on the scene. And so we had started around that time. And it was also the web, right? At the time I was in grad school and I knew because I studied marketing, integrated marketing communications, I knew that web was about to really be hot and hit from studying. So that's when we decided to take it to the web. And so with that, you know, we did that successfully. And then I took it over in 2009 and I said, you know what, whenever you go somewhere, when you travel, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? So it was important to incorporate those three elements all together because it was very important. And then from there, it was just sharing those stories. Mm -hmm. And that's how it got started. And then I would say about maybe five years into it, it was like, you know what? We've got brothers and sisters all over the world who have these food stories, who are the originators of our food stories as African-Americans for the most part in this country. We need to share those stories too. So it really took on this mission of connecting the African diaspora through food, drink and travel. And that has what's made it so exciting to see what's happening in Africa, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in South America, Central America, Asia. And it's just really grown from there. Well, it's been exciting to watch, I have to tell you. And I really think that you have found a way to just make the whole story really not only relevant, but exciting. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important because you don't want to just tell the story because we have lots of stories, mm -hmm. but to tell the story in a way that makes people engaged with it and excited about it and proud. Thank you. And, and that's what we want it to do. We want it to be unapologetically proud and Black about these stories because a lot of times, you know, they're toned down, whether we use this word or that word. You know, our culture and who we are wouldn't come through these stories. And now we want to have that platform where that's allowed to tell those stories and tell them how you know, everyone can relate to them, especially a Black audience can relate to them because that's representation, that's inclusiveness there, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things I've always been proud about is, and then the other thing we want to do too is it's not, we're not telling the story. We want you to tell the story. We're just the vehicle to tell that story. Mm -hmm. And I, thought, I think that's very important too. And when I tell my writers that work with me, you know, it's not about you know, and I, and, and I like what he did and that, no, let them incorporate their voice into that story because that's what we're about, amplifying their voices. Um, and so it's just, it's been a wonderful ride. I, I just, I'm, I'm just loving it. So how did you decide that it was time for a podcast? <laughs> Believe it or not, I had some contributors, a husband and wife team, and they would put this in the back of my head over five or so years ago. Now, one thing about me, and it's always been, I've noticed this about myself in terms of, I always joke around, like say on customer service, if I have an issue and they're like, and I'm like, has anyone else had this issue? Like, no, you're the only one. I said, really? I'm the only one out of millions of people. Have this issue. <laughs> right. so I've always embraced that. You know what? I seem to be the only one doing certain things or just doing stuff. Right. So I said that to say, I always wanted to do something that no one else was doing. And that, that sort of, when everyone was going left, I was going right. And it wasn't intentional. It's just how I was. 
It, it's just, you know, my mom jokes that I would never wear my sister's clothes. For some reason, I have an issue with secondhand clothes. And it's not being snooty. I, I don't know where I got it from, but it's like, I want the first. I don't okay. know. Mm-hmm. So I wanted something that was original, that was different. And as we, this year, for some reason, it just clicked that we want to tell these stories, continue to tell these stories. But the caveat is, We want to tell them in the different languages that we speak as Black people. And so there's a lot of details that we're working out because it's it's a lot. But eventually in the next couple of months, we'll be telling these stories in Spanish, in French, in Portuguese, in Swahili, in in a lot of different languages that we speak because they're not sometimes people who don't speak English and we don't want that to be a barrier, you know? Um, and so that's where the importance of that language. And you probably know as well, we say food, culture, language, because the three come together. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you know, when you talk about the food, you talk about the language that the food was was taught to, was was introduced in, and then the culture around how you prepare the food and all of that comes together. And so that's what we're really excited to do with Diaspora Food Stories. And so I just felt it was time um, to branch off, to be able to extend the stories we tell through Cuisine Noir, because we only have a certain amount of words that we write. And some of the interviews are hilarious, but they're also, we have conversations that we can't put everything in that interview. So now we can hear, you can hear those conversations, eventually see those conversations. And so we were like, you know what? We're excited. It's time to go to the next level. And this is how we're going to do it. I think I think it's brilliant to have it available in other languages. I just think that is so important. And you're making me think, hmm, Liz, why aren't you doing that? You know, that's a really, really brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. And I think it is true that a lot of people speak English or at least understand it, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as expressing yourself in your own language. Absolutely. It's just not. Absolutely. And so I, I really think, I think that that's wonderful. When do you think that's a year away or? Oh no, we should probably, you'll probably hear something definitely by October. So. Oh my gosh. That's just mm-hmm. around the corner. Definitely by October. We're speaking, we're talking to someone now. She's in Cape Verde. We've got someone in Mexico. So we're just getting the logistics of how this would work because it comes into translation in terms of how we put it on the website, how we translate that into social media. So there's all these little pieces that we're trying to put together to make sure that it's, you know, and this is a new animal for us, right? We've been in the writing space for 13 years, now doing a podcast. You know, I've got a great team behind me and and my editor, he's like, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. So, you know, don't think you got to just boom, 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 you know, mm-hmm. take your time, do it right, build the audience, and then you're going to build momentum and get that rhythm and it's going to be go. And that sort of like allowed me to woosa. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> it's a learning journey. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, it's like, I'm learning something every day. Oh, totally. Yes. That's, that's the truth. And I'm 72 and it gets harder and harder to learn stuff, you know, and I'm still struggling with so many little things that people just do ordinarily. And 
eventually I get, I get there, but it's just not the same as when I was 17. It's really no, technology. I'm, I'm always like a deer in headlights. Like when I'm talking to my guy about maybe changes we need to make online at Cuisine Noir and, and there's this jargon and then there's the programmatic advertising. I'm just like a deer in headlights. Cause I'm like, slow down. You know, especially I've got one guy I work with around analytics and he just, he'll give me like a whole page of something. And I'm just like, okay, let me take a step because it's overwhelming, right? And so, no, I, I get it. You just got to take those moments and say, you know what, just work with me here. I got you, but I need a minute, so. Well, so when you are um, just out there deciding, okay, this is an important story or this is something that we really need to cover, give me an idea about that process. How are you deciding? And and now that you have such a site that's so integrated with so many different concepts, mm-hmm. how do you make sure you cross them all and use them all to the best advantage of each component? Right. So, you know, really people are still learning about different cultures. So for instance, I've always, the one thing that I love about this is being introduced to different cultures, different languages, different, you know, just everything, the foods, right? And so I'm always- Different ways of eating the food and presenting the food, all of that, yeah. Absolutely. And so it's really about what are the stories that are not being told? And for instance, Garifuna is, is a culture that is really- very interesting to me, or I'm interested in, I should say, especially since I went to Guatemala and I met a gentleman there who represents the Garifuna um, people of Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And I don't think enough stories are being told of who, you know, someone that works on my team is like, oh no, I have, I have never heard of Garifuna before. And so I can't take for granted that just because I know something, everybody knows something. Everyone is still learning about what, you know, the world and different cultures and things today, they're really receptive to it, but they're still learning. And that's one of the key things is what are the, who are the stories and what are the stories that need to be told? And, and for instance, that's one. So I start to do my research. He's a, there's a food truck in LA. I'm going to be in LA next month. And so I'm like, okay, on my bucket list, contact him, start to, I always say, when I start to follow you on social media, I'm up to something. <laughs> that sometimes is a clue. If I start following you, then, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to soon be coming behind, you know, behind to introduce myself to you because I, I just want to, you know, make sure that your story is being told. And so that's, what's important. And how do you make sure that you tell the story all throughout your site? Right. You know, we try to make sure it's under that umbrella. So you're going to get anywhere that we are around the world. And it is, and, and really being that resource for who are the stories, who are the chefs, what are the foods, who's doing what. And that's the thing that we try to do throughout Cuisine Noir is really, if you want to know anything about uh, Blacks and food, drink and travel globally, come to Cuisine Noir. And so we've really looked at the content strategy um, and which is very important and, and incorporating that. So not only are it, is it stories, we wanna make sure that there's recipes there because of course, you know, we were a culinary magazine. Then there could be products that, you know, you wanna try that just came out. So we wanna make sure that that goes along with it as well. 
And then there are books. If you want to, you know, if you're into cooking, here are some of the cookbooks. So really with that theme of this is for all things food, drink, and travel as it relates to Black people, Black culture. And of course, it's for everybody, right? But just, you know, in terms of having that spotlight there, then this is Cuisine Noir is who you come to. So that's where we really are just making sure that that's out there, that message there, so everyone knows. If you want to know, you know, who some top chefs, we've featured some chefs in New Orleans, then hopefully we can be a source for you. So hopefully that message is getting out there so people know why to come to Cuisine Noir. I am just waiting for you to start offering international cooking classes. I think that you would just mop it up. (laughs) That would be amazing. You know, I, I definitely on my list would be like Italy and just some amazing things. Cause one of the things that we do too, is not only do we talk about, you know, black people, food, drink and travel, but it's also about making sure that we are open to different experiences globally too. And the thing is, I remember when I started, I get comments like, you know, you're just soul food or black chefs or, you know, put black chefs into a box in terms of what they cook. And that's what we have always wanted to make sure that we are telling the stories that are out of the box. The same with consumer sides. And that's one of the efforts I sort of work with when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion to let brands know that as Black consumers, you could be missing out because we travel, we like different food experiences, we go different places. And so definitely pay attention to us. And and with that being said, if there are great experiences that we can expose, whether it's a spa and the food at the spa or wherever a city and what's happening in that city, that's what we're doing on that consumer side as well. Yeah, I think... I yeah I think you just got your fingers all over it. I it's really <laughs> really exciting. There's so, all those perceptions that of who we are. You know, I remember you know black people don't ski, black people don't surf, <laughs> black people don't do this. You know what I mean? And so because that wasn't out there before, we want to make sure that there's exposure to it. So we talked about in Huntington Beach. There's I think it happened last month a big black surfing event that happened down there in California. Um, we make sure we do that. There's black ski trips. So again, it's all of, of all of these negative perceptions about who we are, what we eat and what we do. We're just trying to break them and throw them out, throw them out the window. Oh yes. And to be aware that they're black people all over the world exactly. and that they speak different languages and they were probably in many cases born in that other part of the world they didn't just go visit there and so it they are influencing the culture of wherever they are all the time and so the whole world is being influenced by black people all the time and i think that we try to put but not only with Black people, but certainly with Black people, we try to make this definition that is pretty narrow right. and forget that. Forget history. Everywhere. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. we, we forget history. And a lot of that deals with, you know, we have to be honest with the Atlantic slave trade and where the Spanish colonized and the French colonized and the Dutch colonized, We, you know, and, and other countries, the English. So, you know, you can't ignore that history. And when you know that, then there's no surprise 
that when a black person opens their mouth and they speak Spanish and it's their mother tongue, there should not be any surprise around that at all. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about drink. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about food and food related to culture and what that means, but there's also drink. Yes. So I know that you spend a good bit of energy talking about innovations that Black people are today doing as well as the, historically, but let's talk about today a little bit. You know, we really had a, a big wine focus in the very beginning, but that has really evolved over the years as, you know, there's more spirits coming along. So you're really seeing Blacks in terms of bourbon is, is really big, you know, whiskey and things like that. So the spirits industry, you're seeing really a lot of Black people honing in on, on the history that we have in those. I mean, Uncle Nearest is one of the, the true historic stories that we're hearing about Mr. Green. And so that has really evolved. Then you're seeing cultural drinks. So we have a couple out of Montreal that, you know, there's different versions of eggnog. And it's really nice to see how it has its different name and take in different countries, right? So here in America, we have eggnog, right? But if you go to maybe Puerto Rico, you've got coquito. And then if you go to Haiti, you've got cremas, right? So you're seeing the, like, so there's a couple in Montreal that say, you know what? We love cremas. More people need to experience this, not just Haitian people, um, and introduced it to the world. And it's just really just taken off, which is really great. And so that's a, just such a successful story of taking a cultural drink and really introducing it to the masses and then look at the growth of it. And then the other thing which we're excited about is one of the stories that we'll be bringing, that will be in Spanish as well, is there's a young woman in Colombia who is bringing back a drink that goes back to the enslaved. And so it's almost like a moonshine in a way, but she is starting to bring this back. And so we're going to be sharing her story in the coming months. But we're looking at that innovation there out of Colombia. What else? We've got a, a young woman out of Philadelphia or the East Coast that upcycled. You know, I don't know how many people are really familiar with upcycling, but she's taking avocado seeds with her business partner and they make sort of like, it's not a kombucha, but it's a really healthy drink out of the seed, brewing the seeds out of avocado. So it, it's brewed. It's brewed. Yes, brewed avocado seeds. It's called Reveal. And it's it's wonderful. And so you're seeing these innovations that are coming along today that we're just like, wow, this is just amazing. So it's really great. And then it, the, the number of not just spirits, but what do you call them? Um, mixers, non-alcoholic drinks. We're seeing that or cocktails. You're mm -hmm. seeing that a lot these days for those that observe, say, dry months or dry seasons or just don't want to don't have want to beverages mm -hmm. at all. There's a lot of different products coming out there to make sure that they cater to that market. So we're really seeing a lot of innovation when it comes to drink, for sure. Well, well, I think it's, uh, there's just so many stories to tell. You will definitely be out there forever without <laughs> ever running out. <laughs> That's what I, I said. You know what? There is no shortage. You know, we know people are, are different schedules. They may not get back to us or whatever the case may be. It's like, you know what? We've got enough stories to cover. So right. we're good. We're good. So do you see a book happening? 
Oh, you know, I've talked about maybe doing a tabletop book at one time. Mm -hmm. What anniversary will that be? Will that be 15? Will that be 20? I'm not sure. But, you know, it's been in the back of my mind for sure that we can definitely, you know, tell the stories because I go through my hard drive and see photos from years and years ago and then photos from here. But it's very inspiring to have something like that so that generations that are coming up behind us have these stories because definitely when we started again or really started rocking and rolling with Cuisine Noir and telling these stories, there was always that question of, I remember this article to this day, where are the black chefs? I remember that article. I think it was like 97 or something like that it was written. And, and we want to make sure that that question is never answered, asked again. Oh, right, right. Because, you know, they're, you know, they're really shouldn't be a reason why someone now can just Google and find. And I always say, Liz, there's no excuse for not knowing about the diversity in the food industry, no matter what culture, because Google is your friend. Right. And so if you cannot say that you can't find something, you just simply weren't looking. You really weren't. Right, right. We have a small business that operates out of the museum. It's called Delightful Rue Cooking School. And it is owned by an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. And she has been looking at herself as kind of the, the, the daughter, so to speak, of Lena Richard, okay. who was yep. um, so influential in New Orleans, but not only in New Orleans. And she traveled to New England and she was the chef at a restaurant there. And then the Rockefeller Foundation hired her as a consultant to create the menus at Colonial Williamsburg when that was first being opened. And then she had what we believe is the first culinary school that was for Black people, but it was the first culinary school owned by a Black woman in wow. New Orleans. Wow. And so Dee is saying, I'm her daughter, you know, Ooh. in spirit. And what I've seen is that when people hear that story and they, and of course she, we think she was also the first African-American woman to have a TV show that was named for her. So this was in 1949 and the beginning of 1950. Wow. And she did a two times a week cooking show that was live because this is when tv was just broadcast like the radio there was no taping there was nothing and it was actually she died before soaps were invented okay and so that means we don't have any record except the stills that were taken in the studio while it was happening and then of course she was so popular and people um were interested in when she was going to come on. So there were advertisements in the TV section of the paper, which nobody understands anymore that there actually used to be a TV section of the newspaper. Wow. And, and her picture is in there a lot uh, talking about her next show at such and such a time and, and people could watch it. We have not been able to find another African-American chef, especially a woman who mm -hmm. had their own television show that was named after them. 
because that was how important she was that people knew her by name. Wow. And so, but yet, because, and I think that if, frankly, I really believe that if she had been recorded on kinescopes, you know, people would know her better because they would have been able to see her the way people can look at Julia Child or James Beard or any of those early people on television. But she died just before kinescopes. So ahead of her time. She really, really was. So when you read about that and recognize how, how she was so well known that the Rockefeller Foundation hired her to bring her to Colonial Williamsburg to create the menu for the inn that they were forming there. She had to be well known enough to not be anonymous as a black person in food and also well known enough for them to say, we're going to hire a black person to do this. And it's just amazing. Wow. And you know, but, you know, we want that story to be known. And so I totally understand when you're saying that there's so many stories out there. And how many people have a TV show named after them? Absolutely. You know, and during that time, like you said, that was historic right there. Exactly. To be able to have that. Now, have you been able to track down any relatives or anything of hers? I actually went to high school with her granddaughter, but her granddaughter was, I think she was born before Lena Richard died, but she was a baby. I mean, like two months old kind of baby. So she doesn't remember her grandmother. She only knows her grandmother's stories and, you know, the stories that were told to her by her family. She doesn't have personal memory of it, of her. Wow. But those are the stories, like you said, Liz, that need to move forward and be told. Yes. So. Yes. So anyway, I am really excited to just to hear about, you know, all the things that you're doing. Anything else in the future that we should be looking for? Anything else in the future? You know, we're just really excited to really get dive deeper into the podcast and and what that's going to bring. Everyone always asks, are we going to do events? And my thing is, you know, there's a, we're here to support events. There's enough people doing amazing events. And, and again, when I find an event that is a little different from what is being done, then I will probably come out and do an event. But at the, right now we'll just continue to support. But I, I, you know, I, I think that these stories are going to continue to evolve and how we tell them. And so we're always looking at how are people consuming media these days? And so probably in the future, look out for a little bit more visual storytelling at, you know, so there's always writing, listening, and then visual. So I think that's, that's our next step is more visual storytelling. So looking forward to that. And then, you know, definitely this, again, this is our 13th year. So we'll be kicking off our 13th year fundraiser to support that the work we do similar to you know your your work and and you know supporters supporting that too because it's 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 hard work it's not it's expensive work but it's work that needs to be done and so we want to make sure that we continue to be in a good position to be able to keep this going 
And I just look forward to a hundred years from now when people <laughs> look at what you've done and they see this treasure trove of information and stories that have been preserved that wouldn't have been preserved otherwise. I think it's just fabulous. Thank you. And and you know, and, and to your point, and that's why with the podcast, we're making sure that we dip into other countries where possibly they can't be told in English because who are the cuisine noirs of Brazil, of Colombia, of, you know, France, of Portugal? Where are those cuisine noirs? And so if they're not there, then we want to make sure that those stories are documented as well. So one thing that I am excited about is I will be heading to Portugal next month uh, to Lisbon because there is an event going on where there are individuals trying to mobilize the African community that's there in Portugal and make sure that their contributions to Portuguese cuisine is noted. And so very excited to be doing a presentation over there at the end of next month. I haven't been back to Portugal. It's been probably well over 15 years since I've been to Portugal. So I'm so excited to go over there and whatever we can do. And that's through, especially through our nonprofit, the Global Food and Drink Initiative. If we can help communities, countries, make sure that their stories are told, that's one of the things that we wanna do because we want it, no story goes untold. We want every story to be told everywhere, so. Well, Sharia, it's been really wonderful talking to you and catching up. And I look forward to listening to diaspora food stories every week. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.